morning, Bucks fans. How's everyone doing? It is Wednesday morning, which means it's time for Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Casey Phillips and Scott Smith here. Excited to talk about that incredible win on Sunday and all the news that has happened since then. As always, we'll be taking your questions. So if you're not already watching on the Facebook page, if you want to submit a question, you can head on over there. Leave it in the comment section underneath the Facebook Live video, and we'll get to some of those. So as we give people a chance to start answering those, um, I just wanted to first, I guess we have some news of, of a new addition to the team that was finally released yesterday. Yeah, it kind of broke uh, right after that game, actually, but because it takes a while to finalize things in today's NFL, we didn't actually announce until yesterday. But the Buccaneers traded for nose tackle Steve McClendon from the Jets. And, I mean, it's just kind of a move that makes sense. Um, he's in his last – contract year there um and you know the jets are i guess to put it kindly are probably in rebuilding mode at this point so it didn't cost the buccaneers very much a 2022 sixth for mcclendon and a two, 2023 seventh round pick so i didn't i wasn't even sure you could trade picks three years down the road but as you can see that's not really much of a cost to get a player that can really help you shore up what had become you know a little bit of a thin spot with the injury to vita vea and nobody's expecting anybody to come in here and be vita vea but Steve McClendon, for one thing, he had a couple of his best years under Todd Bowles in 2016 and 17 with the Jets. Obviously, Todd knows him well, and he probably wouldn't have too much trouble, uh, you know, getting reacclimated to this defense. And, and even last year, he showed some more pass rush ability than you'd seen from him, you know, because he'd been a guy, a nose tackle, was kind of asked to eat up blockers, which is something we could use if that's all you get. But I think he had like 18 quarterback pressures or 18 quarterback hits and 33 pressures or something like that last year. So he's he shown some ability to get in the backfield. It just seems like a smart move. And at that cost, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. And I mean, the, speaking of the defense, this last Sunday was just such <laughs> incredible. I mean, that, that was an unbelievable performance by them. And there were just so many things about that game that were so encouraging. And I just wanted to hear for you the, the biggest takeaways of, of what you learned about this team from that game and what it could mean moving forward. Yeah, I'm not sure what I can say that everybody hasn't already said about that because everybody's been talking about it for three days now and for good reason. That's one of the most dominant performances you've seen from our defense or probably any defense in a long time. I mean, look, the Packers came in here absolutely on a roll. They were averaging 6.83 yards per play. The NFL record for a season is 6.33. So they were a half yard better than the best offense that had ever been seen uh, for the first month at least. And so to, to hold them to 3.3 yards per play is just – you couldn't have really asked for that. You could, you know, we were confident going in, right, that we had a shot to win that game, but you couldn't have really truly expected that dominant, that big of a shutdown performance against Aaron Rodgers. And I think what it was in the, in the first quarter, you saw the defense pressuring Rodgers right away, right off the bat, they were getting pressure on him, but it was a bit frustrating because he was, as he does, he was doing a great job of sliding around and making improvisational plays and converting third downs. And um, I like the way Bruce Arians put it. He said, after, the first quarter, it felt like everybody on the sideline was just holding their breath, like you're waiting for something to happen, something bad to happen. And Todd Bowles is like, come on, guys, let it go. Let it loose. They're just going to turn it loose. Don't play cautiously. Let's go get them. And then, and then the pass started getting there, and that changed everything. And they, they had four first downs in their last ten drives combined. They never, never had a snap on our side of the field after Aaron Jones' touchdown in the first quarter. So um, I think everybody already knows this. I'm just kind of piling on because – We've been talking about this for three days. It was just so incredible. Yeah, I just felt like that was a game that was every coach's dream in particular, <laughs> that you give up no sacks, you give up no turnovers, and you commit no penalties. Like, that's the dream 
for any coach, I feel yeah. like. And, and just the discipline that that showed. Because it's one thing to have a good defensive game or just have a good game in general where you're able to make some big plays that are enough to turn the tide. It's another to play a game like that that is – it just shows it was from start to finish such a disciplined game. Yeah, and the trio of zeros you just uh, put together – has only been done three times in a game since the 1970 merger. And this is the first time anybody's done it in 21 years. So if that was a dream, I don't want to wake up. Uh, I don't think you're going to see that again very often because it doesn't happen, but it is an encouraging step. The discipline after the Bucks came into that week tied for the league lead in penalties. And I think a lot of it had to do, you've probably heard several coaches and players say since that game that the practice on Thursday, particularly for the defense, was just on another level. It was like a practice they'd never had before. And they came out of that practice feeling very confident. And I think that probably led to the discipline play because you're talking about, you saw all the different creative, different blitzes and formations and schemes that Todd Bowles was throwing out there. That's a lot to remember. But in, on Thursday, they felt like they had it down. And, and then they did, and they executed it and did it without drawing any penalties. And I think that was because of what they gained in practice on Thursday and, and to some extent Friday. Okay, and uh, Daniel had asked, uh, based on your experience and observations, what similarities or differences do you see with the 2020 defense compared to the 2001 Bucks defense at this point in the year? And then, of course, he brought up that we're about to play John Gruden's team, so it seemed yeah. like an appropriate question. I think he means 2002. Um, that, that, was the, that defense was great in 01, too. It was great for about a decade there, but 2002 was their peak. Um, you know – history is going to tell on that a little bit because if you look back at that defense, it had two hall of famers on it and at least several others that in, in my opinion should be in the hall of fame, at least four hall of famers, maybe five, if you want to put Simeon Rice in there, um, is this defense going to produce two to four hall of famers? We'll see. We'll see. Uh, but it's a little early to tell that defense was a little more veteran than this defense. I think this defense is younger than that one, which in a way isn't a bad thing because it, it shows room for growth. Uh, you know, Rondé Barber, Derek Brooks, Warren Sapp, Simeon Rice, John Lynch, Brian Kelly, Shelton Quarles, they'd all been Dexter Jackson. They'd all been in the league for quite some time when that defense just kind of all came together. Um, so this one has room to grow. I will say, they, you know, that defense had a couple of um, or at least one really important free agent acquisition in Simeon Rice that kind of pulled it all together. And I guess you could make a comparison to Shaq Barrett and getting that edge rusher you needed out of free agency. So there's some similarities, but um, I think time will tell on that. And we, uh, we were asked to give a shout out to the Buckaholics fan group. Hey there, everybody. They're a great fan group. I've been, to, been out and seen some of their tailgates at some of the games, which is always awesome. They're a great group. Um, we also had a question about what is Leonard Fournette's status moving forward? Yeah, I think he'll probably be able to play now. Um, I think that he won't, you know, I, I say this because uh, there was Bruce Arians was saying that they decided to, before the game, they decided to be cautious and wait one more week because they just really didn't want him to tweak his ankle injury and possibly miss another month. And they felt good with what they had going into that game. And I had tweeted that out because Bruce said it and I thought it was a good point. And Leonard Fournette himself quote tweeted it and said, uh, the younger me would have been upset about this, but I understand that my coach cares about me. And, um, I, and then I think he tweeted something about go Ronald Jones and all that. So uh, that leads me to believe that he felt he was close or ready to play. So after you give him another week after that, he probably should be ready to play this coming week. And, you know, it was going well when he was in there. And I know we've seen some good things out of Keyshawn Vaughn, but I think Leonard Fournette will still have a role 
as probably the primary reserve to Ronald Jones. The thing is, Ronald Jones is so hot right now that that role, you, you don't know how big it's going to be. Yeah, which is a great problem to have, you know, an abundance exactly. of riches back there. Um, Chris asked, who's really the number one, Evans or Godwin? Yeah, I mean, I've been, I was, I've been talking about this for more than a year. I, I don't think the question matters. I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to denigrate the question. It's a fine question, but I don't think the answer, I guess, matters that much. It's, well, it might matter to people on fantasy teams. Maybe that's yeah, what it's yeah, Well, you know, Mike and Chris, we don't, hasn't really had a chance to really get in the groove yet, but I think that's coming uh, because of the injuries. And Mike, I think, also has been held back a little bit by injuries, and he's played in every game. But it's, from a fantasy standpoint, it's been a bit of a feast or famine, although he did score in every game until the last one. But he's had several hundred-yard games, and he's had several games where he's had 10 or fewer yards. So um, yeah, this offense with the weapons that they have and, and, you know, last year we threw for so we threw so many times and threw for so many yards, and that was exciting, especially to see how good those guys were. And it was exciting from a fantasy football standpoint. But – it didn't produce a winning team. And, and I think these guys care a lot more about the W's than, than the numbers and their stat line. So it's a little hard to say because they, Mike and Chris haven't played together a ton of snaps so far. It's a little hard to say yet who's going to be the one that emerges as the top guy. But um, I think it's kind of a one A and a one B kind of situation. doesn't help from a fantasy standpoint. does it? <laughs> right. But again, I think it's kind of a similar thing that we talked about the running backs. It's a good problem to have when you can't tell. Um, okay, so we had a question from Anthony about if this is maybe the year that Levante David will finally get the recognition he deserves and, and be viewed as maybe the best inside linebacker in the league. And then we also had Brandon mention, do you think White and David are the best linebacker duo in team history? So maybe let's, I know that's that's a great question. I can see I can see you having fun writing about that type of a thing in the mailbag yeah, and making some. That is way premature. Way premature. I mean, Derek Brooks and Hardy Nickerson played together. And then Derek Brooks and Shelton Corals both went to the Pro Bowl in the 2002 season, and they were quite a combination. I'm not ready to say that yet. I mean, when it's all said and done, Levante David, at least, Devin White is only six games into his second season, so I'm not going to make any bold predictions about him yet. But Levante David's going to go down as one of the, you know, five or six, seven best players in team history. And uh, he'll be – whether or not he joins Derek Brooks in the Hall of Fame, we'll have to see. Um, probably need to get some it's not his fault but we probably need to get some playoffs and some Super Bowls in there to help him out um uh and and Derek Brooks of course won an NFC defensive player of the week defensive player of the year award so I'm not ready to anoint those two as the best ever they might be the best in the league right now uh and they certainly look like it in that last game and those two were just all over the place in the last game but yes to start the, at the start of the question was whether he's getting the recognition I think it's already happening I think we've seen that of course he was the NFC defensive player of the month. So that was some recognition right there. And, uh, and yeah, and it, we're about to play four of our next five games in prime time and all of our guys that deserve the spotlight are going to get it. And uh, yeah, I, I think we're seeing pro bowls. I mean, there's not gonna be a game, but I bet you he, he makes the pro bowl roster this year has shot at all pro. And it's great because he's playing. We know how good he's been all this time. And it's not like he's just getting recognition now as his, play is tailing off he's playing as good as he ever has and he's getting the recognition so it's, it's a really wonderful thing to see uh jimmy asked do you think jamel dean could get the start over sean murphy bunting with how well he's been playing yeah i it's a it's a very valid question i i don't i assume that there's a reason that they keep they're continuing with this approach of sean murphy bunting starting on the outside and jamel playing 
coming in when Sean goes into the nickel. Um, but if he keeps making plays like that, I could definitely see it. Uh, it would make some sense. But I, I got to believe that Sean Murphy Bunting is playing very well, too. He just hasn't had the splash plays um, because the defense as a whole is playing so well. Um, so we'll see. Uh, you know, the, the thing about that is because most teams play the vast majority of their snaps in three wide, Jamel's on the field most of the time anyway. So it's a valid question, and I could see a possible change. But even if there isn't, he's still going to be on the field a lot. Okay, and uh, Benjamin asked, what do you think about Tyler Johnson's first uh, couple good games that he's been playing? Yeah, what I really liked was in the, uh, the previous game when he, had, he caught that pass over the middle and, and kind of made some more out of it, made, you know, got yards after the catch. I think it ended up being a 35-yard gain, and to me it looked a lot like a Chris Godwin play, and that's something that we talked about when he was drafted because he has some similar qualities to Chris Godwin. Uh, you know, his good route running, his just innate ability, ability to gain separation, his yards after the catch. Um, so it was good to see that. And of course, he got his first touchdown, and Bruce Arians said he ran a, a great route, and he was the fourth read on that play. Um, so it's good that he stuck to his route and didn't assume the ball wasn't coming his way. Um, with Chris Godwin coming back, you know, I'm not sure how that affects his playing time, but He's, he was out there a decent amount of time in the last game. So uh, it's been encouraging, yeah. And then uh, I know we talked about this right off the top, but there are some people that I think joined uh, after we discussed it that have been asking about the new addition to the defensive line and the role that he could potentially play on the field moving forward. Okay, well, if you look at this last game, the Buccaneers used one of their practice squad elevation options on Jeremiah Ledbetter. So Jeremiah was on the practice squad. They called him up for the game and he immediately played 24 defensive snaps. He was out there on the first drive. That's a lot. So obviously they want somebody to share nose tackle snaps to a pretty decent extent with Raheem Nunez Rochez. And so McClendon presumably will step right into that role as soon as they feel comfortable putting him on the field. And uh, as I was saying at the top for anybody that wasn't here, um, he's he knows Todd Bowles' system. He played under him. He had a couple really good years with him. He's always been a guy that can eat up multiple blocks, which is something that you got from Vita Vea. So it'd be nice to have that. And last year he actually showed, uh, you know, pretty good ability to rush the passer. So uh, I think it's just a, as I said before, I think it's just kind of a no brainer. Uh, it's a guy that is already is still playing at a high level and um, can help you out and cost very, very little, basically a swap of a sixth round pick for a seventh round pick several years down the road. So um, I could see him playing a decent number of snaps pretty quickly. Okay, and we'll close with this. Uh, Ron, and I saw a few other people mention this as well, asked, do we have our kicking issues under control now? Yeah, it sure seems like it. Um, he, he made the 50-yarder. That was, And by the way, you and I both know from the shows we did, that was a very windy day there. And he made all those extra points, which is not a sure thing in the NFL anymore. And uh, he made that 50-yarder, made it look pretty easy. And so, in the south end zone as well, the one that's known that's as the, the tougher end zone to kick into. Yeah, I mean, it was that was, I think, the windiest game I, have, I can remember, especially at the Buck Stadium. I mean, maybe if you go to some places like Chicago or whatever, but that was – I mean, there were things blowing all over the place and, like, they were having to change even kind of the some of the signage and bunting because it kept flying everywhere. Wow. And yet for that to be where he gets his longest field goal of the season in the toughest end zone, I felt like was a great sign. Yeah, and if we're talking kicking as a whole, I think Bradley Pinion is having a really good year. Uh, this last game wasn't his best, and I think that had something to do with the wind. But before that, he'd really been on a roll, um, you know, with his net average in the mid-40s is all you can ask for. And he still continues to kick every single kickoff deep into the end zone. And if it wasn't for the fact that 
Cordero, Cordero, Cordero. I always have trouble with that one. If it wasn't for the fact that that guy's the only guy in the league bringing kickoffs out from nine yards deep these days, he'd pretty much have a touchback on every single kickoff this year. So I, you know, it's a nice weapon to have. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us on this edition of Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Thanks as always for joining us and for all those great questions. And we'll be back here next Wednesday. (laughs) We'll be right back.